At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, where we read from the scripture already this morning as well, and that is where we'll spend our time looking at verses 15 through 23 and a few more later in the chapter 2. Let me start this way. Do you remember the Home Depot Let's Do This commercials that launched like 10 years ago? Anybody remember those? It's not a bad New Year's Eve slogan, honestly, for 2024. Just let's do this. In fact, turn to your neighbor this morning and say, let's do this. Let's do this. It's time to do this. Let's let this go. Let's let this new thing come. Let's do this. But I'm going to be honest, those Home Depot commercials always bothered me. And here's why. They highlight a different project, painting, landscaping, remodeling, recarpeting, whatever. Pick what sounds good to you. Pick what you need done on your house. And the commercials make it seem like a quick trip to Home Depot and what looks like a few minutes or a few hours, and you've got yourself a showroom or a show yard or a show fireplace right out of the pages of some living in luxury magazine. And so they'll show you some picture like this on the screen and they'll say, if you go to the store, you could have this within like minutes. Like you'll have this done by tonight. So you could have all your buddies over to watch the game. But here's my real problem. From start to finish on any project I try to tackle, I'm reminded that there is really no us in let's do this. I mean, grammatically, it's there. They put it in the ad campaign. It is there. Let apostrophe S. That means let us do this. As in, we are going to do this together. I'm going to get some help. I'm not on my own. But we all know the reality. Home Depot takes my money, offers me a little bit of vice, not usually all that accurate. Then we get the stuff, put it into the car, put it in the truck, we go home, and when we're headed home, we realize all of a sudden there is no us and let's do this. It's just me. There's no mason next to me. There's no carpenter next to me. It's just me. And that's a problem because even if I could afford all of this, I can't do this. And I never will do this. Most of the time when it comes to house projects within my home, I mean, small ones, big ones, everything in between, uh, the only response I can really offer is like, let's hire this. That's all I've got. (laughs) So do you ever feel this way when it comes to working out your spiritual life? Maybe you've come to church and through the message you've seen that your carpet needs replacing, that the rooms in your house, in your soul, they need remodeled, that your yard is a mess. Basically, we recognize that our character, our thoughts, our words, our hearts, they need some renovating. And then we are sent out with a let's do this charge, followed by a victorious sounding song and perhaps a prayer of benediction. And then you get into the car and on your way home, perhaps it happens there, perhaps it happens in the hours to come or maybe even the days or weeks to come. But at some point you realize all that change that you feel like your life needs and all the effort that you're pouring into trying to make it happen for yourself, you eventually come to the place where you say, I can't do this. All the self-effort, all the self-help, all the different things that I can apply to try to change the way that I function, the way that I am, eventually we come back to that reality. I can't do this. I can't renovate a heart that's been obedient to the world and make it obedient to God. And thinking that I can do it, 
With a little advice and a lot of self-will, that just leads to self-idolatry. I can't transform my own heart through my own effort. Thinking I can do it leads to self-righteous performance and transactional Christianity where you eventually go to God and say, God, I did all this stuff for you. Now you owe me. We have incredible power to change things, build things, create things, but we cannot save a soul and we cannot sanctify a human being. We cannot make what is unholy to God holy. I'd pay whatever you charged if you had the ability to say, I've figured out how to bend the will of others into the will that I desire. Anyone who could say, I can bend their will to become obedient to the things of God in perfect obedience. If if you've got that secret sauce, every parent in this room will sign up for your class and you can charge them whatever you want. We'll all show up. If you could do that with a spouse, if you could do that in a relationship, but we can't because projects of salvation, projects of transformation of the soul, projects that have to do with eternity, the heart work that leads to a deepening faith and an internal peace, they never start with that tagline, let's do this. God, do you, you do your part in saving me and then I'll do mine and t- together we'll get it done. In fact, let's do this. If you think about it, that is the ad campaign tagline for basically most world religious systems. You appease God and the rules that you've been told and you do your part and then whole add his part and your part plus his part, you'll be okay. You'll experience paradise, whatever that paradise is described to be. But our ad campaign Uh, The message of the Christian faith, it's never let's do this when it comes to salvation. It's always and only Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Now, don't get confused here. Of course, there is work for us to do in the Christian faith. And yes, God has a purpose for your life that requires all of your effort. But my point is that when it comes to stepping out of darkness and into light, out of deception, into truth out of spiritual death and into spiritual life, only one person is equipped for that job. Jesus did it, and that means it's already done. So everybody say, it's done. It's done. Jesus did the work. This is how Paul puts it in Romans 8. I'll just take us there for a quick moment. He says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul is saying that you cannot deal with the problem of sin by following rules because we've all broken the rules. So God stepped in, Jesus came to the earth, and that is the miracle of the incarnation that we've been talking about for the last month together here at Woodside. He satisfied the requirements of God's law. That's exactly what he says, in fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, when Jesus says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In other words, Jesus lived a life that we could not live. That is a sinless life. And Jesus died a death We should have died a sinner's death. And Jesus rose to give us a life we could never get, a resurrected life, a new life. And that is why Jesus alone is the way, truth, and life, because Jesus did it. This is what the Protestant reformers of the 15th and 16th centuries called Solus Christus. 
It's a Latin phrase which means through Christ alone. The main question that Solus Christus answers is who saves us? Is it really God and some of me and mesh it together? The reformers were pushing against that type of doctrine and they were changing the thinking based on the word of God's to say, no, no, it's through Christ alone, Solus Christus. We are not part of God's family through any merit or effort that we bring to the equation. So Jesus did it, not I do it, not we do it. So what I'm saying is that Christ is our provision before he is our example. He is our provision. He's provided for you, for me, before he's just simply someone to follow. That provision comes first. Even if we talk about being like Jesus and imitating Jesus, we still need his provision, his spirit, his grace first in order to follow. So before we go and do, we must always remember that he is our Lord, he is our Savior, he is our provision. And that means that Jesus is the hero of each of our stories, not us. Jesus is the center of the moment, not us. He is the center of everything. Now that's what we see in Colossians chapter 1. We find this ancient, beautiful hymn of praise that centers on Jesus. And that's what we need to see as we begin a new year. The best vision that I can give you as you begin a new season is a vision of Jesus. I just want you to see him more clearly today. And so that's why we come to this text So that we can see with fresh eyes that Jesus is Lord of creation and he is Lord of all redemption. Here's the question I hope that we can answer from the scripture this morning. What truths about Jesus can transform your life in 2024 if you believe them in faith? If you allow them to do their work in you? Here's the first. That everything and everyone is held together in Jesus Christ. Everything and everyone is held together in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read these scriptures again. Then we're going to walk through them. I'm going to teach a little theology, if that's all right with you this morning. We're going to see what the scripture is saying and then see what it actually means to our lives. But we'll start in verse 15 and read these beautiful verses again. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me teach through these verses if you'd allow. The Apostle Paul was confronting people here who were teaching deceptive doctrines to the church. And his rebuttal was to emphasize the preeminence of Jesus. So he reminds the church who Jesus is. He says, in Jesus, the nature of God and being of God have been perfectly revealed. Jesus makes the invisible become visible. Now that's amazing to think about when it comes to the story of Scripture because everybody within the Old Testament story of Scripture, what happened if they were ever to step into the very presence of God? Well, first, if they even caught a glimpse of him, they'd fall. 
And it was nothing but worship and reverential fear. But if they saw God, it says if anyone had seen God, then they would what? Die. His holiness was so set apart. And yet in the person of Jesus, it tells us we have seen God. Now, the Apostle John tells us that no one has ever seen God, but seeing Jesus means we are actually seeing God. And that's what Jesus says about himself within John's gospel when he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the, power, by the word of his power. The point is, the more that we understand the uniqueness of Jesus, the more we will realize we are not him and we desperately need him. Now for this culture in this time that, that truly believes I can handle this on my own, I've got this, I can carry it, I'll build it, I'll make it happen, it's individualized, it's all about our own effort, that's what we'll achieve, that's what will get you where you need to go. This is a good reminder for all of us to know that when it comes to spiritual work, we cannot do it apart from him. In fact, that's what he says in John chapter 15 verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, whoever dwells with me and I will with him, he it is, she it is that bears much fruit for the kingdom. For apart from me, you can do, do you know what the verse says? Nothing. You can do nothing, no thing for the kingdom of God apart from the work of Jesus Christ in you. That means he is our provision, that apart from coming to him empty-handed and ready to receive his provision, we cannot do what he calls us to do. So all of humanity we know from the word of God is cre created in the image of what's called the imago Dei. It means in the image of God. Uh, but image doesn't mean likeness in every way because our first parents, Adam and Eve, they weren't representatives of every attribute of God. They weren't the exact imprint of God's nature and character. And so there are some attributes that God has that other beings do not have. These are called his incommunicable attributes. It's a big fancy seminary word. And what it means is there's things that he contains within himself that no other being contains within themselves. Things like omniscience. He knows all things. We don't know all things. His omnipotence. He is all powerful. We are not. His omnipresence. He is at all places, at all times. We are not. His self-existence. This is who he is, and this is what Jesus then contains within his very being. So Paul uses this idea of image in its fuller way. Adam and Eve were created in or after the image of God, but Jesus is the image of God. The exact imprint of his character and his attributes. He is what's called the God-man. And Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, firstborn does not mean that Jesus was created by the Father and he had a starting point. That is a heresy called Arianism that got its start in the fourth century. Paul is talking about position and rank. So a good translation of this part of the verse is that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. I learned a really fancy word this week. I'm going to teach it to you. And um, it'll help us understand the scripture a little bit more. Paul is saying that Jesus has the privilege of what's called uh, primogeniture. Turn to the person next to you and say primogeniture. Primogeniture. You spell it like primo and then genture, G-E-N-T-U-R-E. So, like multiple people are asking me, how do you spell that word? 
So that's how you spell it. I didn't know it. I looked it up, tried to figure out what it meant. What it means is because he is the son of God and because he is the creator of all things, that means that all of creation belongs to him. He has primogeniture. He has the right over all of the universe. It is his inheritance. He is the heir of all things. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 16. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So everything, everyone, all things, not some things, not most things, all things were created through him and for him. He is the agent of creation. He is the center. And Paul is building towards verse 17. It's kind of the climax of this section where he says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This was the phrase that was meant to stand out. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all creation. He holds creation together. He holds the church together. He holds the scriptures together. That means he holds you together. He holds all things together. If you lacked peace in your life in 2023, maybe there are moments of peace, but when you look back over your year, as you take stock of your soul and your life, you lacked peace if you lacked joy in your life in 2023, maybe there were moments of fleeting happiness, but there wasn't a deep sense of joy. If you lacked faithfulness in your life in 2023, you, you want to be a follower of Christ and you've claimed to be a follower of Jesus, but there's habits, there's patterns, there's things, and you just can't seem to get rid of them and they just keep popping up and you can't overcome them and you're frustrated with all of that. If, if you feel like the chaos of this world that's always surrounding us in that chaos, if you feel like it's in, invaded your life and now your life feels like the chaos that you see everywhere else, then maybe it's time to confess, I can't do this. Jesus, bring order to my chaos. You're the only one who can bring it together. You're the only one who can hold it together. And as you follow his way by listening to his spirit, you'll begin to experience transformation. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. And when God heals the world through Jesus, Jesus will reign supreme. And then finally, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus was the one who initiated the process of reconciliation. Now, most of the time in our lives, when, when we do something wrong to someone else, the person that we offend, they expect us to come to them and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. That's the expectation. It doesn't always happen. Now, there's a lot of times it doesn't happen. But the expectation is that if you wrong someone else, that you would admit that wrong to them and go make it right. But when you come to the message of reconciliation that we find within the life of Jesus, this is the message. It's the one who was offended took the initiative while we were all still offending. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We did nothing to make things right with God, but Jesus went to the cross. And the cross is the event, the moment, where everything in creation, in the heavens and on the earth, it is all reconciled to Jesus. We didn't do it. Jesus 
did it, Jesus is Lord of creation. Now think about all the applications of this. I mean, we could spend hours sharing stories of what this actually means for each of us. I hope you realize some of these things. Because Jesus holds everything together, that means so many things in our lives. Jesus, for example, has completed the work of salvation. That means you have been freed from working for God's affections. You have nothing to gain, nothing to prove, nothing to lose that is not already yours in Jesus Christ. What can you add to your inheritance? The perfect son of God who lived the sinless life, who died on the cross for our sins, who then rose from the grave and overcame sin, death, and the grave, who then was resurrected and then ascended to the Father and is now seated with the Father on high. And all of the spoils of that perfect life and obedient life to the Father, all of those spoils, all the spoils of victory, that is your inheritance already. What can you add to it? Can you add anything to that to say, well, let me just sprinkle in a little bit of my stuff too on top of that. Then it'll be really good. Like you've already received it. That means you don't have to work your way to God's affections. It's been done for you. You simply receive it. Jesus is in control of every authority. Another application, every kingdom, every ruler. He holds it all together. That means he's in control of every politician, every piece of our lives down to the smallest freckle on our faces. So we can be freed from that paralyzing anxiety and worry about what's going to happen in this next year. All the things that are out there that we get worried about, what's going to happen overseas with this conflict or with that conflict, what's going to happen in November of 24? Yes, we pray Yes, we work, we share hope, and we share truth. We bring light into darkness. Yes, we do these things, but we are not paralyzed with fear because every king ultimately bows to the king of kings, and we know him. It's like in that wonderful movie, that classic movie that celebrated its 20th anniversary this year. Everybody should have seen Elf this year. If you haven't seen Elf, I don't think you're an American citizen. <laughs> but remember when the Gimbel's manager announces to the store, he says, says tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. And Buddy the Elf, Will Ferrell, freaks out, starts jumping all around. He's like, Santa's coming. I know him. And so he sets up the store, and he can't wait, and he's waiting all night. He doesn't sleep all night. He prepares the place because he has all this expectation of who's going to be sitting on the throne. And so the morning comes, and he goes into the room, and he sees somebody there, and all of that expectation immediately collapses because it's an imposter. Here's the thing. Friends, we can be as exuberant as Will Ferrell. Because Jesus has already been seated at the right hand of the Father, according to Mark 16, Acts chapter 2, Ephesians 1, Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 10, 1 Peter 3. The point is there is no imposter on our throne because of what he has done, because of his life, because of where he is seated now at the right hand of the Father, while the Father is on his throne, and they are there for eternity. There is no one that will unseat them. So we don't need to worry about all the other thrones on this earth. So what does that mean? I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a half-hearted clap, but maybe it'll sink in later. Because how much of us and how often are we just so worked up 
Because we can't control these earthly outcomes. What is there to fear? Yes, bring light. Yes, work hard. Yes, bring truth. Yes, be active. But do not fear. Our king is seated in the heavenlies even now. And everything is held together by him. We are free, think about these applications, to live lightly, knowing that even if the chapter we find ourselves in is disorienting or discouraging, maybe it's a, something you've received from the, uh, from the doctor, some news, maybe it's a relationship that's, that's broken, we, we can know because of what Jesus has done, because of who he is, we know the final chapter that we will be with him and we will be like him. Jesus is the focal point of all things, so we are freed from the burden of trying to compete for the attention of other people. Jesus is the center of the scriptures, and he is the center of the church, so we are freed from placing all of our hopes on other human beings to fulfill all of our expectations. We are free to forgive each other and to work through our conflict instead of running away from it. Because of Jesus' victory, we are freed from sin's dominion over us. We have the power through Jesus to overcome temptation and experience real spiritual transformation as we follow his spirit. I hope you're seeing it. Let me bring it down to one sentence. Because everything and everyone is held together in Christ, you don't need to constantly strive to hold everything and everyone together. That is not your weight to carry. And so many people in this room, I know it's true because we're human beings and this is our pattern. You went through 2023 and it's like, man, I got to carry this. I got to hold that together. I got to fix this. I got to make sure that works. I got to go over here and massage that relationship because that one's a mess. I got to make sure that those people are happy with me. And I got to do my, my job over here and it's all up to me and it's all stacking on my shoulders and I'm getting crushed under the weight. I can't do this, Jesus did it, which means it's his job to carry it. Friends, the Lord wants you to know this morning that as you enter this new year, it's not your job to carry it. Let it go. Let it go. Release it. Give it to him. Give it into the arms of the one who was meant to carry it and who actually finished the job. So don't carry what you were never meant to carry. Live in the security of Christ. What truths about Jesus can transform our 2024 if we hold on to them in faith? Everything and everyone is held together in Jesus Christ. And secondly, more briefly, everything and everyone can only find reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Look at verses 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. These verses actually form one giant long sentence. And they tell us through these words who we were apart from faith. We were alienated. We were hostile. We were evil. Strong words. It talks about the goal of our salvation, that that we would be made holy and blameless and above reproach. It talks about the importance of holding fast to our faith. Paul mentions 
the words mind and deeds, and he's basically saying that everything in us, our mind, our thoughts, our deeds, our actions, before Jesus, before faith in him, all of it needed redemption. There wasn't any part of us that was good enough. All of it needed redemption. And so that's why he uses this contrast of once, this is who you were, compared to now, this is who you are. Those who were once far away from God are now brought close to him by faith. Those who were once at war with God are now at peace with God by faith. The result of Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death is that the accused are no longer accused. Yes, we still struggle with sin. But the power and finality of Jesus' work is stronger than the sin and the shame associated with that sin. So he is working in us through his spirit to help us become more like him, to prepare us for eternity. Do we have a responsibility? Yes, we do. Of course we do. Look at verse 23. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith. That's what's called a conditional if. It's an if-then clause. He's basically saying continuing in the faith is the test of one's reality of faith. He's not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. What he's saying is if you have been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the fruit of that salvation work that's already doing its work within you will show up as you continue in the faith. Your obedience demonstrates your faith. So the idea is that we, we, we must be faithful to the gospel message that we've received. We don't take away from the work of Jesus. We don't add to the work of Jesus. We hold fast to the work of Jesus and say, in Christus, solus. In Christ alone, solus Christus, our hope is found. And live in light of that truth. One of my favorite authors, his name is Dallas Willard. If you ever have read him, read everything you can of him. It's a very good brother, good man who's now passed, but he said it this way. He said, if you could find a better way, that is a better way to God, a better way to salvation, a better way to peace, a better way to heaven, to paradise, to eternal life. If you could find a better way, Jesus would be the first one to tell you to take it. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul wrote, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator, one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time, the testimony we have received through faith. Now look how Paul closes this section as we close up even this morning. He says in verse 28, him, Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What truths about Jesus can transform this next year? Everything and everyone is held together in Jesus Christ. And everything and everyone can only find reconciliation through Jesus Christ because he is the Lord of creation and redemption. If you have been changed by what Jesus has done, his completed work, what does Paul say to do? He says it right here in the text for us. What does he say our response is? He says, him we proclaim. This is our purpose. This is our mission. And so what are we meant to do in 2024? Proclaim Christ. We can go to other parts of the scripture. It's described slightly differently in Matthew 28 called the Great Commission. Jesus commands his followers, go into all the world and make disciples. 
How do you make a disciple? By proclaiming Christ, by sharing your testimony, by sharing a witness of what he has done, who he is, and what he has done for you. And as you do that, as you build relationship, as you invest in other people, the people around you, the people in your family, your neighbors, your networks, you are making disciples. And that disciple-making process involves baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Now, I'm pretty convinced that if we focus our efforts on this for 2024, proclaiming Christ and making disciples, it's going to be a pretty incredible year, full of a lot of surprise and a lot of movement of God and a lot of unexpected things. But I think for a lot of people in our church, in our culture, we get distracted by making a lot of other things. So if you were to take stock of 2023, what were you making? I made a lot of messes. What did you make? I mean, right now, it's so easy for me to get distracted by feeling the need as a parent of a 17-year-old senior that I need to make a fearless, confident woman. I need to help make that into her, push that into her life. As the parent of a 15-year-old boy, I want to make a responsible man. As somebody in a marriage, I want to help make a strong marriage. Maybe you want to help make your marriage or bring support to your marriage. Maybe your primary focus has been making friends or making fans or making contributors or making business partners or making a following or making money. We, we go after making a lot of things, but above all, we are called to proclaim Christ and make disciples. Is that your aim? Is that what you're working towards? That's what we can work towards. Let that be your vision. As you see Jesus for who he is, see what he's called you to do, to proclaim him, to multiply his name. Because as we see him rightly, we can't help but go and share him with others and help others experience the same sense of peace and love and joy and salvation that we have received through faith. In C.S. Lewis, Prince Caspian, one of the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy, a human girl, says to Aslan, the lion who represents Christ, after not seeing him for a long time, she says, you're bigger. He replies, that is because you are older, little one. Not because you are, she said. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. May your vision of Jesus be bigger this year. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the image of the invisible God, that because he came, we can know you. Not just know about you, not just know things about you, but know you deeply and personally, not as tradition, but as Father, as Abba, as Savior, as Lord, as our Redeemer. So Father, I pray for any who are here in this room this morning or watching online, that if they've come to the end of this year and realized finally through the convicting presence of your Holy Spirit that they can't do it. Or that the tagline, let's do it together, that, that just only leads to despair and discouragement. But that they've realized perhaps today for the first time that Jesus has done it for them. 
that they would even in these moments have the courage to give their life to your son and live a new way into this new year. That you'd help them through the spirit to even pray in their mind with their mouth even now, Jesus, forgive me. I've tried my way and I know it doesn't work. I can't carry that weight. I can't bring about that trans transformation. I cannot sanctify my soul. Salvation can only be done by you because you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. So I receive what you have done for me on the cross. I receive your victory over death, over sin. And I choose to follow you and walk in your way. I want my life to be about you alone. And Father, whether a person, a man or a woman or a child has prayed that today or in any time prior, that is the prayer of our hearts that we would live for Christ alone, seeing who he is in all of his glory, all of his magnificence, all of his beauty and power, his truth, that we would press into him this year, that we would let him hold us together, that we would lay down the weights we've been carrying and we'd lift up his name. So Father, even now as we respond, let our first response as we are getting ready for the turn of the calendar not be to run out of the room, but to worship, to just worship you because you're holy and worthy and good. So receive our praise now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.